Today on Unleashedcast, I talk to Mike Bollinger, Global VP of Strategic Initiatives at Cornerstone On Demand. Yes, we discuss their People and Workplace Trends Report for 2023 and the themes and trends that we can pull out of it for the year ahead and the many years after as well. It's great to talk to Mike, as always. Cornerstone are a diamond sponsor of Unleashed America, so do catch them at the Expo at the end of April. But for now, here we are discussing their recent trends report for this year and all the subjects and insights that HR leaders should be focusing on for the months ahead. Here's my chat with Mike. Mike, thank you so much for your time today. We're going to be talking about your uh, recent uh, 2023 trends report and some of the uh, key findings that have come out of this recently. So I think the first one, a good place to start in terms of what's really grabbing people's imagination um, and attention at the moment is about AI. And um, one of the key findings in your report was that there's a significant increase, or there will be a significant increase in the use of AI to predict the next wave of skills. Are there areas of AI you think it might um, suggest that we explore? What do you think? So it's, it, with the, the rise of uh, generative AI and so on, it becomes a very wide ranging kind of conversation. And how is HR going to use AI? And as you well know, for, for years, it's been there's AI in recruiting and, and everybody had some level of AI, which was usually a variant of machine learning as well. What we found in the report, though, was, and, and if you think back to skills in the classic sense, We've been able to do that for a long time in, in terms of, uh, we used to call them, you know, KSAs, Key Skills and Abilities. But um, the problem was once you set it up, it cratered under its own weight. So what we see from an AI perspective is the ability for AI to help us keep those skills ontologies fresh. And that's important because uh, it gives us the ability to do comparative analysis and at Cornerstone, we took it a, a one level deeper and we talked a little bit about it from a um, equivalent and adjacent perspective. And I'll give you a really good example. Natural language processing is something we're all looking for in our technology stacks and people that can do that and so on. But what's really interesting is marketing people have good NLP skills. And so you can use that as the ability to move from one to the other. And so when we think about AI and predicting the next wave of skills, part of it is being able to look around corners at places that you might not be able to look at uh, in the past because of the, the freshness aspect as you go out and you start scraping postings and webs and industries, an example. So that's one part, and that's the part we really called out in the report. But there's some other things going on in AI as well. Um, if you think about what's going on with generative AI or ChatGPT, which is, you know, kind of taken the, the media by storm, actually conversational interfaces do make it accept, acceptable. There is some downsides to some of those things, but the idea of using conversational interfaces as a mechanism to harvest and scrape some of the AI in an HR perspective is, is a good thing. And there's a variety of ways that you could do that. You can do it obviously inside recruitment. It's been there a long time. Chatbots in particular, you're seeing more capability coming out of those um, that are, that's very, very specific. Beware of large language models, which are static. Um, so you you can use it as seeding and so on. And in, in a, a, the, the walls, the domain of HR, extraordinarily useful. Things like content matching and personalized learning journeys, 
Um, we talked a little bit about adjacent skills. Even things like how do you write up performance conversations or check-in conversations and use appropriate language and sentiment analysis. These are all things that AI can help us with. And then finally, we're gonna start seeing some near real-time insights from that as well. All of this goes to say that we're in the early phases of what I think AI is going to be able to do when it comes to not just the skills matching, but many of the things that are going on in HR. Really interesting time. Another area, I mean, we could talk about so much about AI um, all day, pretty much, in fact, in, in terms of the way that it can be used. Another area of the report that really caught my eye was the, was the term capability academies. So one of the key findings, another of the key findings is that uh, you say that capability academies are the future of learning and development. I'm unfamiliar with the term. So how do these differ from skills academies? Well, look, we, we learn skills, not just by studying, but by doing, right? And classically, we've known about that for a long time. But the idea of a capability academy can be defined um, as a program, content, experiences, assignments, credentials, and collaboration. And so it's often led by business leaders and subject matter experts. It supports the idea that firms should organize their learning around business-specific critical capabilities in, in that sense. And it really was born from this notion of what happened to us in the digital world. Over the last 20 years, we've digitized a lot of our learning. And uh, what happened out of that was very useful. Don't get me wrong. We were able to do things with it that were that was very useful. But as we move from self-directed to more tailored learning, uh, a capability academy is something that is, is driven by several things. Collaboration and practice. So real work projects are part of the process there. Um, you want to be aligned to the business itself because the, the business leaders and, you know, there could be a sales academy, a capability academy. Uh, there are many other kinds of very business specific capability academies, but they have a tendency to, to, to think into the future and look around in the future, what we often call scoff skills, right? It, capability is around integrating knowledge and skills and flexing to meet future needs. So when you think about a capability academy, there's still domain specific thing that you would see in the normal skills approach. There's alignment and driven by the business itself, a business unit and the leadership. The collaboration is often under the supervision of a, of a coach or a facilitator. And then you, you're able to share this expertise across a variety of different domains and it becomes a, a flywheel effect, an evergreen process. So if you think of the Capability Academy as a superset, um, programs and content and experience and assignments and credentials and, and practice, that's why we predict it's going to be the future of the L&D function. To move from capability and skills to another area, which saw very strong uh, employee demand, and that was DEIB training, uh, with a 7.7 times increase from 2021 to 2022 in demand for self-directed DEIB learning content. I, my question's a little leading, but I'm interested in your answer. Um, do you think the addition of belonging to the more established trio of diversity, equity, and inclusion is down to the proliferation of remote work and specifically the need for belonging and the, the, the idea that there needs to be a better understanding of belonging in the workplace. 
I, I absolutely 100% agree with your last statement, better understanding of belonging. What we found was, uh, in our own internal analysis, was that 7.7 increase in um, DEIB learning content consumption. Obviously, that spike was driven by a strong instant, uh, interest in learners. But what's really interesting to me about DEIB and the sense of belonging and your question is um, the idea of what is belonging. And so um, we did a separate piece, I, I didn't say it in the beginning, but I manage and, and run the Cornerstone People Research Lab. And a separate research piece that we just released, we actually looked at what we call the belonging score. And the belonging score is based on the idea of acceptance, respect, and appreciation at work. And we know from what we found inside that research is um, that sense of acceptance, appreciation, and understanding in our relationships with individuals and groups of people, including managers, has an impact. Um, high belonging employees are three times more likely to say their manager is going to support their, their career growth. Low belonging employees are two times as likely to say they wouldn't consider other careers inside your business. And so the last thing that I would say is, is high belonging employees are way more interested in learning for their future. Uh, and for their own personal interests, as well as for their current job. And low belonging employees are six times more likely to say that, there doesn't, that their manager or employer doesn't know who they are or tracking their skills. All right. So we now know what belonging means. And we, all, we also know what the impact is to the individual perception uh, with belonging. And if you think about it from acceptance, respect, and appreciation, that is not necessarily new to the hybrid workplace. It may be more emphasized now um, in the sense that I'm not necessarily connected in a physical level going back to the office, but the sense of belonging and its impact on the psyche has been around a long time. And there's some significant research in particular at the educational level, which we've translated into this uh, workplace belonging score that we created in this report. Thanks, Mike. I've, I've got one last question and maybe another one that I'll add on at the end. But um, another area of interest again. Maybe... You ask anything you want. I got an answer. Go for it. Okay. <laughs> Um, I've got another one around sustainability, actually. We've certainly seen sustainability, governance, uh, ESG, to bring it all together. Those concerns come to the fore in the last two, three years. Uh, do you think ESG will eventually kind of develop its own significant area of learning in future? I think absolutely. And, and there's, again, a couple of moving parts there. I'm always mindful that there's not one thing that is causal. There are casual implications here. But ESG is here, here to stay. And it really is around, from an HR perspective in particular, it's around risk to the business in some, in some ways. It's also around business performance when we think about that. And Europe in particular has been really good about reporting on this stuff well ahead of the US. An offshoot of what's going on with ESG is this notion of reporting requirements, material HR transactions that are now part of public company reporting requirements. Came out of, in the US, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, um, but the EU and, and the SASB standards have been around for a long time. So being able to, to report that in a way that is material, um, in a way that actually looks at what the disclosures are, um, means awareness for the individuals. 
in in ESG. I mean, if you look at some of the the themes that you look in the the 10K forms, the themes in those forms here in in the U.S. done by a CPA, it, it's diversity and inclusion data, training and development data, workplace safety, obviously COVID. So these are the kinds of things that that you're going to see more and more of, and that's going to require a level of expertise and not just being able to understand what those things are, but being able to grab the data around them. One of the the best examples that I've seen, and I I like to use it, is Papa John's in the U.S. It's a pizza place. Well, what's the ESG for the pizza? Well, they break it into people, pizza, planet, and community. Um, I'll send you the link. But what's really interesting is that every company is starting to think in those terms, and every company is going to need individuals who understand the interacting implications of all those things and are able to get at the right data and report it out, um, minimizing risk to the organization. ESG is here to stay, absolutely. And there are a lot of people coming out, uh, coming up and into the organization that are going to need some understanding of the personal implications in the organization they work for. Certainly couldn't agree more. Those are all the questions I have on the report. We're going to drop the link to the report itself in the show notes, I hope. One last question, Mike. Will you be at Unleash America? It'll be great to meet you in person. At this moment, I will be at Unleash America, and I look forward to uh, to attending and meeting a lot of folks. Um, I was at Unleash Paris, and what you guys have done with the Unleash brand and what you've done now with some of these shows is exceptional, and I want to be a part of it. So... I should be able to see you at Caesars in Las Vegas. Great stuff. Uh, Yeah, we're very proud of the shows and really can't wait for the next one. So hopefully I'll see you then. Um, For today, Mike, thank you so much for your time and uh, see you very soon. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Unleashcast today. If you made it this far, then there's a very special offer just for you. That's a discount on the entry price to our upcoming show, Unleash America, taking place at Caesars Forum on April 26th, 27th, 2023. When you get to checkout, type in the code POD10, that's POD10, and receive a 10% discount on the ticket price. There's amazing speakers at Unleash America this year. We've got Estee Lauder, we've got Coca-Cola, we've got McDonald's, Elliot Maisie speaking, Visa Card a collection of some of the best thought leaders in the entire world, all coming together in one place, that's Caesars Forum for Unleash America this April. So that code again, when you go to checkout, type in POD10 to receive 10% discount on the ticket price. Don't miss out. We'll see you in Vegas.